Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of George Costanza pretending he hasn't been fired to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. The logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the ad hoc fallacy, also known as MSU fallacy, making stuff up. I say we, but I'm going to have to leave you in the capable hands of Jim flying solo with the help from one or two others in a have-I-got-news-for-you kind of way for the next several episodes. The work I'm currently doing means there'd be a conflict of policies in doing this, especially at the moment. But I'll be back to joining the fun again when this period is over. Meanwhile then, I'll hand you back over to Jim, who will explain the ad hoc fallacy. So the ad hoc fallacy is, as Mark said, they're making stuff up. And you might think, well... I mean, Trump's been making stuff up since the very beginning, and that's absolutely fair. This is a more specific version of making stuff up. It's it's making stuff up kind of when someone has realised that all of the evidence that's being presented is against them and they don't have any way to kind of maintain their stance without introducing new stuff, which they've just made up. So you'll find this is very prevalent in people who have particular belief systems. If they if they believe something very strongly that isn't really supported by evidence, like, for example, creationism or something like that, which is then challenged with actual evidence, then they will make stuff up in order to make sense of that evidence and kind of avoid the cognitive dissonance that has to go along with believing the evidence that's been presented to them and their initial belief because they can't kind of maintain those two beliefs without causing them some some difficulty at least so making excuses making things up that that start to try and put new evidence in a context that makes sense with the things that you already believed Uh, and sometimes as trump has been doing since he lost the election just just making stuff up and pretending that what's actually happening isn't happening. And in his case, it's because he can't accept... I mean, arguably, there's, there's various possible reasons why he's doing it, but one possible reason is that he can't accept that he's lost. Some less charitable people might say that he put quite a, a significant amount of effort into rigging the election in his favour... And it still didn't work and he can't believe that it didn't work. So therefore, his argument is that there must have been people working against him to rig the election the other way. So we have three tweets on consecutive days from Trump. These are representative. There were very many, many tweets, almost all of which included lies and things that he'd made up. And almost all of which were tagged on Twitter as uh, disputed claims or or you know, fake news, essentially. But these are three representative tweets from uh, November 16th. He said, I won the election. On November 17th, he said, dead people voted. And on November 18th, this was a rigged election. No Republican poll watchers allowed. Voting machine glitches all over the place, meaning they got caught cheating. Voting after election ended and so much more. So, I mean, if you've seen, I'm sure, all of the fact checks that these things aren't true. Dead people didn't vote. Various organisations, the BBC, Washington Post and lots of others, have looked at the lists of people who Republicans claim are uh, dead people who voted. And they have they have been through and they have found the people who actually voted under those names. And they're invariably people who just had the same name or the um, birth date was changed on the system because when they were putting it on computers they didn't have the birth date for the person so they put in a a kind of default birth date which made republicans argue that lots of people who are 120 voted because unsurprisingly the default date was 1st of january 1900 in many cases so it looked like lots of people who are 120 voted but it was just because they didn't have the full information about that person when they were inputting that data. It didn't mean that the people who voted shouldn't have voted. 
the idea that there were no Republican poll watchers allowed is complete nonsense and has been widely debunked uh, in, in every single place. Republican poll watchers and Democrat poll watchers were allowed to watch. That's the rules and it happened everywhere. There is absolutely no evidence of areas or counties or individual places where people were not allowed to watch who were supposed to be there. There is plenty of evidence of people just turning up and expecting to be able to see the votes being tallied and being turned away or being told they couldn't come in. That happens because that's not required. But it is required to have people in there from both parties who can observe what's going on. And people were in every single location where votes were being counted. Glitches all over the place have again been talked about extensively. There were things, for example, with Michigan having a uh, kind of sudden increase of votes and then going back down again. And it's it's human error in many cases. The software that has been used in various places, not exclusively swing states, as Republicans have said, but but in, in lots of different places. And in fact, often in not all of the counties of particular states were basically not having problems. The glitches were not typically software, they were typically human error and things that had been input incorrectly that were then caught because they have checks and balances in place to make sure that that kind of stuff is caught and then were corrected. And it's just a, a factor of there needing to be constant information. People constantly, I mean, I know I was on election night, constantly refreshing to see what's going on. And they wanted to get the information out there as quickly as possible, which means sometimes the information goes out before it's been vetted. And then they look at it and say, well, that's not right. And they change it. That kind of mistake doesn't get through to tallying up the votes to see who won the election. Sometimes it's stuff that has been accidentally released to the media, or in some cases, it's a media problem where they have you know, put in typed a number incorrectly or something like that. So there is absolutely no evidence of widespread voter fraud that could possibly have had any impact on this election. And it is only the fact that Trump is being extremely petty and basically a whiny little bitch that means he can't accept that. And now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics corner. So again, although Mark isn't here, he has given me some examples that he found on this. And the first example is from uh, Face Punchable, constantly on the verge of tears, man, toddler, Matt Hancock, our health minister, who went on the breakfast TV show, Good Morning Britain, to face questions from Piers Morgan, who is uh, just a, a an awful, awful person and, and a and a terrible journalist, um, but in in this case was the only journalist who was actually trying to get answers out of people like Matt Hancock. And what he was talking about in this clip was about the testing figures. At the time in April, uh, Number 10 put out a tweet that said that 100,000 people would be tested every day. And then what was touted as a success by Matt Hancock and Number 10 was that they were doing 100,000 tests per day, which is not the same thing. And when Piers challenged him on it, he started to make up excuses. Are you prepared to admit now for the first time that we did not hit the target of 100,000 people a day being tested by the end of April? It was, in fact, the number of tests conducted. Uh, uh, no, uh, because the uh, target was set... Uh, to have a uh, 100,000 tests a day, and we delivered against that. And then we set you the another tweet goal, from Downing Street, which Hell was... Secretary. The tweet from Downing Street. You, you, it said people, uh, not tests. I know the, the goal that... People, not tests. I, I, I think that what people watching this will care about is the, the impact on people's lives and what we can do in the future. So he is trying to completely avoid the question, which is pointing out and giving him evidence that what he has said is not true. Matt Hancock said that our goal was 100,000 tests and Piers actually showed him the tweet from number 10 that said it's 100,000 people per day. And in response to the evidence, he just starts to make up another thing and say that actually that's not what people care about. People care about other stuff and the impact on their lives. Well, actually, to some extent, yes, they do care about that, but they also care about the fact that the government was pretending that they had succeeded by hitting a target that they hadn't set for themselves. 
So it is worth asking that question and then expecting an answer from it. And the way that Matt Hancock replied was just kind of to make up another reason why he couldn't answer it rather than actually kind of addressing the point that was being made. And, And in doing so, he avoided addressing the evidence that directly contradicted what he was saying. Now, the second clip we have is also from Good Morning Britain, but this time Piers Morgan is talking to Nigel Farage. This is on the night of the US election, and obviously Farage is a big fan of Trump, and Piers Morgan asks him about the the time when he said to about injecting disinfectant. Now, Piers Morgan says he talked about injecting bleach, and here's what uh, Farage says. Yeah, Donald Trump was talking about bleach. We just heard it's him. Just we just heard him, Nigel. I did not hear anyone mention bleach. I Disinfectant did hear is bleach. You realise that, do you? No, you could talk about acids in all sorts of different contexts too if you wanted to. is bleach. Now... I don't think this is an ad hoc argument. Mark has given this as an example. And normally, if he was here, I would have a a conversation with him about why I don't think it's an ad hoc argument. And he would argue his case and that would be fine. Um, So it's a little bit unfair for him not to have a right to reply here. But essentially, uh, and I mean, this is so difficult because Piers Morgan and Nigel Farage are both appalling people, like really really awful people and i have to take a side here like agree with one of them in this case i find myself in the extremely difficult position of agreeing with nigel farage oh I'm, i just vomited a little bit in my throat but the thing is uh trump didn't say bleach bleach has become part of the kind of lexicon of where we talk about that hilarious thing that he did that probably killed some people But he did talk about injecting disinfectant and that isn't good and Farage absolutely shouldn't in any way be defending that at all. But what he says to to Piers Morgan is he didn't say bleach and Piers Morgan is saying disinfectant is bleach. Disinfectant is not bleach. Bleach is a kind of disinfectant but there are many other disinfectants. All of them are things which you shouldn't inject. But it's not true to say that they're all bleach. And in that way, Piers Morgan is actually doing a straw man here and saying that Trump said you should inject bleach and that's ridiculous, you shouldn't. And it's it's an unnecessary straw man. It's completely unnecessary because it's it gives Farage the ability to say, well, he didn't say bleach. And in doing that, he is actually ignoring the underlying argument, which was that Trump did talk about injecting cleaning material into your body to fight coronavirus, and that is terrible, and therefore that is one of the reasons he shouldn't in any way be defended. But because Piers Morgan, who is awful, insisted on going that bit step further and saying disinfectant is bleached and Trump said disinfectant and therefore he means bleach, um, he gave Nigel Farage an out. He gave him the opportunity to say, well, he didn't say bleach. And Farage is right in saying that. Oh, that was painful. But they're they're both terrible. Farage shouldn't defend Trump, but Piers shouldn't lie about stuff Trump said either. And I don't think Farage was using an ad hoc argument. He was dis- he was actually, weirdly, correctly disputing an incorrect thing that Piers Morgan said. And he focused on that part of the argument in order to ignore the part of the argument that said um, Trump said a stupid thing that he shouldn't have said. We stick with Farage and Piers Morgan for our third clip in this section, which is simply about the fact that Farage is getting, by this point in the conversation, annoyed that Piers wants to turn this into a thing where he is laughing at Trump. And Farage is saying, well, there are actually serious issues to be talked about. We are talking about who is about to become the leader of the Western world. And you want this to degenerate into some ludicrous headline in a tabloid newspaper. Surely there are bigger and more important things to talk about than that. I would have thought. Maybe not. Maybe our audience don't care about Pete. Maybe they don't care about future trade deals with the UK. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. We should trivialise the whole thing. I don't know. Farage here is is kind of he's the argument he's making is we shouldn't talk about how awful all of the awful 
things that Trump has done, because many of the awful things that Trump has done are quite funny. And we shouldn't be focusing on the things that are funny. We should focus on the policies and things that matter instead of trivialising it. And, and I mean, it's way too late to worry about the US election being trivialised. Trump did that a long time ago and he's continually done it and the American people have had enough. So to to argue that that bringing up past failings of Trump, if they happen to be funny, is wrong because you should focus just on the on the policies is to completely ignore the fact that Trump hasn't focused on any policies at all. In fact, the Republican Party didn't even put out a platform this year. They their platform was just Trump. They they literally didn't publish anything that said what they wanted to do. And Trump, even though he was asked in repeated interviews, didn't say what his plan was for his second term. So Again, I'm not completely confident that this is an ad hoc argument. I mean, he does he does pull it out of his ass a bit, but he doesn't make stuff up to to avoid an argument or to provide evidence for his point, really. But I, I'm completely comfortable with the Matt Hancock one <laughs> because um, in that case, it's specifically Hancock is being provided with evidence um, he's ignoring that evidence and making up something else to talk about to avoid talking about the evidence, to avoid the fact that he has just been proved wrong. This is a particularly difficult uh, fallacy to counter, I think, because much like the Gish Gallop, you have to know what you're talking about in order to know that the thing the person has just brought up as an objection is not true. And again, as we've talked about, certainly with the Gish Gallop, it's, it's a lot quicker to say a thing which isn't true than to explain all the reasons it's not true and the evidence you have to, to be able to say that. Like when Trump said this, is, this was a rigged election, there was no Republican poll watchers allowed. It's a lot harder and takes a lot longer to explain the evidence that you have that poll watchers were allowed in all the places you might have to ask further questions to ask, you know, what area, what places are you particularly talking about? Because even then, Trump isn't claiming there were no Republican poll watchers allowed across the entire country. He's talking about that there were specific areas that he wants to point to where they didn't allow them. He's lying about that too. But if you can pin that down, then you can refute it. And I suppose that is a way to take it somewhere towards countering is to pin down exactly what claim the uh, person who, who is arguing this is making so that you can then check that claim if you don't already know the answer and point out that that isn't correct and provide evidence there. The problem is <laughs> that if the person is a fan of this fallacy, then when they are presented with evidence, they will probably make something else up to counter that evidence and or allow for that evidence, which you then have to go through the whole process all over again. And it becomes an infinite series of lies and fact checking, which I feel like is kind of where we are with Trump, really. Imagine dragons there with whatever it takes. So in the fallacy in the world, we like to talk about the fallacy of the week from a non-political perspective. And we start this week with a uh, a film that we've talked about before. I think it was back in the Argument from Ignorance episode. And this is 12 Angry Men. I mean, if you haven't seen 12 Angry Men, as I almost certainly said last time, what the fuck have you been doing with your life? Watch 12 Angry Men. It's a great film. But the people who are arguing on each side of whether this particular person killed someone uh, aren't, don't always use the best reasoning. And in this case, they're questioning whether a, uh, a particularly old witness actually saw what he said he saw. 
And one of the, the people, quite reasonably, asks why he would lie. And an, an old juror has a theory as to why the old witness might have said what he said. Why do you think the old man might lie? Yeah, it was just that I looked at him for a very long time. Same as the jacket was split under the shoulder. Oh, did you notice that? I mean, to come to court like that. But <coughs> he was a very old man in a torn jacket. And he walked very slowly to the stand. He was dragging his left leg and trying to hide it because he was ashamed. I think I know this man better than anyone here. This is a quiet, frightened, insignificant old man who, who has been nothing all his life, who has never had recognition or his name in the newspapers. Nobody knows him. Nobody quotes him. Nobody seeks his advice after 75 years. Gentlemen, that's a very sad thing to me, nothing. A man like this needs to be quoted, to be listened to, to be quoted just once, very important to him. It would be so hard for him to recede into the background. Oh, wait a minute. When what are you trying to do? Tell us he lied just so he could be important once? No. He wouldn't really lie, but perhaps he made himself believe he heard those words and recognized the boy's face. Well, that's the most fantastic story I've ever heard. How can you make up a thing like that? What do you know about it? So that's a really good point made at the end by one of the least likable characters in the film. What's happened here is at this point in the story, this juror is looking for uh, reasons to back up his feeling that the person um, who is accused of this crime is innocent. He is, he's kind of put himself on that side of the of the debate. And the evidence that this old man did see what he said he saw is that he was saying it in court under oath. And they don't really have any particular reason at this point to disbelieve him. They question some of the, the details of what he said, reasonably and, and using logic. But this this juror goes way further than that. He assumes this man's life story based on a torn jacket and the fact that he's old. He assumes that he's not quoted and not respected and people don't ask his advice after 75 years and he's never had his name in the paper. He doesn't know any of that. He's just made all that stuff up because it confirms his belief that there's a reason why this man even, and again, completely making up the idea that he wouldn't lie but but perhaps he um, made himself believe what he said he saw making up a reason that that is what he would say because that allows him to hold this belief that the person is innocent in the face of the evidence of the witness he has just made up a reason why he doesn't need to believe the witness why even though he's not calling the witness a liar he he doesn't need to trust the man's word um, or trust his his sworn testimony and when you hear someone say perhaps this happened and then treat that as if it's true that's a kind of marker that maybe this fallacy is happening because when he says there he wouldn't lie but perhaps he made himself believe that literally he's just made that up he hasn't got any evidence to to assume that or believe it it, it is just something that confirms his belief system at the time and allows him to look past the evidence in the other direction. Our second example is from the Simpsons movie and this is where Homer has uh, basically doomed the town by, I mean, without going into detail, dumping a silo of pig crap in the river and uh, the, the townspeople are coming to, uh, to get him with flaming torches. Homer! You have to go out there, face that mob, and apologize for what you did. I would. I'm afraid if I open the door, they'll take all of you. No, we won't. We just want Homer. Well, maybe not you, but they'll kill Grandpa. I'm part of the mob. <laughs> so, at first, uh, Homer doesn't want to go out there. Obviously, he's going to get attacked. So, when Marge points out that he should go out there, that's what he needs to do and, and apologize. He makes up a reason. 
why he won't. He may, he decides that maybe if he opens the door, his family will be attacked. And then he's given evidence against that when someone from the mob shouts, no, we won't, we just want Homer. And and then he makes up another reason that even if they won't attack his family, they'll they'll attack his dad, Grandpa Simpson. So again, this is being given a position, being given evidence and... Uh, just coming up with a reason, just making up a reason off the top of your head to excuse uh, not agreeing with that position or not agreeing with that evidence. And our final example in this section is a clip I think we've talked about before briefly, but I don't think we've actually played it. And this is from Uri Geller when he was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And on this particular um, visit to The Tonight Show, Uri didn't know that he was kind of being tested. James Randi who was friends with uh, with Johnny Carson, who Johnny Carson was also kind of a keen magician. They had worked out some things that they could do that would test the things that Uri claimed he could do by magic, which was things like finding which of a collection of aluminium canisters had water in it by just kind of hovering his hand over it or guessing what someone had drawn a picture of and put in an envelope earlier that day or bending spoons. They had a number of metallic objects that he could choose to bend and keys and things like that, but but nothing that had been prepared by Uri Geller in advance. So that meant, essentially, because he, he hadn't had the opportunity to prepare them and they had various things to stop his usual tricks that James Randi had worked out in advance that meant that Uri really couldn't do any of the stuff he was famous for doing. And he got quite uncomfortable. And it was a long sequence. And this is just a short clip. Right, we're back. Your Uri was telling me you 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 don't feel what strong tonight. I don't is feel that... strong. It's not all tonight. Right now, I'm feel I'm feeling being pressed, and then I can't. Well, I'm not trying to press you. I really not. Uh, you no, know, you're only I'm... telling me. Well, will you try that or that? Well, I thought that was the idea of uh, <laughs> of. Uh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not trying to put you down. I didn't mean that patronizingly at all, because I have seen you on shows, and I, I thought the idea was to show, if, if you possibly could, some of the things that you claim you can do. And I certainly don't want to pressure you, and if you don't feel like you can't do it tonight, or, or don't wish to try, I certainly don't want to uh, make you feel uncomfortable. I, I'm not trying to be skeptical. I would love to see these things. I really would. Right. Um, is there anything else that appeals to you? Now, if I'm pressing again... Uh... <laughs> Well, for example, now you asked us before the, the show and this yes. afternoon for one, one of our staff members to draw on a couple of cards and seal them in an envelope, which we have done. Yes. Um, well, let me tell you again. Uh, this didn't bend much, and right now here I'm stuck. I don't feel for it more. So I don't want to be stuck either on an envelope. So Uri was unable to basically do anything at all. And among the arguments that he came out with were that he wasn't feeling strong, he had to be in the right mood to be able to do it, and he just wasn't feeling it tonight, at this particular point of the night. He complained about being pressured, he complained at another point that, um, you know, it's not just about whether he wants to do it, it's kind of other people in the room and whether they are kind of able to to help him concentrate and and things like that. It's, It's an excuse, because the reason he wasn't able to do it is because he isn't magic. And when someone like Randy, who understands how these tricks are done, puts something in place to to stop those things working, then the evidence is that he can't do it. Uri can't actually perform these tricks. He couldn't even bend a spoon, which he routinely does, like at the drop of a hat. He's been doing it for it's his main trick, and he's been doing it for years and years, even at this point. And yet there were there were several spoons on the table. He didn't he didn't pick one up and try and do it because he needs to have his own spoons that he's prepared. That's why he needs to have ones that he's weakened or an ability when he can distract people with something else to to be able to to bend the spoon and then act like he's done it by magic. So. In the face of the evidence of him not being able to do it, in order to maintain the illusion that he is magic, that he is able to perform these feats, he needs to come up with excuses. And you'll see this again and again when psychics are debunked, when mentalists or people who claim to have powers are debunked and and they are tested in 
real experimental conditions and they can't do the thing that they claim they can do, they will make up excuses as to why. In some cases, it may be because they genuinely believe that they have that ability. And again, their brain needs to deal with that con cognitive dissonance of believing that they have the ability and it being proved to them that they can't do it. They need to make excuses for why they couldn't do it on that occasion. And in some cases, they are charlatans who are grifting people out of money. And in order to continue that grift going, they need to make an excuse that the less intelligent among their audience will believe. I'll leave it up to you to decide what Uri Geller is. Before we move on to fake news today, I just want to tell you about a live stream that's coming up. Um, we did a competition to try and raise money for uh, democratic causes in the election. And, and as you know, the Georgia Senate runoff races are coming up in January. Uh, we were going to do something else to try and get people to, to kind of just encourage people to donate to those causes because it's really, really important that those two Georgia Senate runoff races go the Democrats' way. It's the difference between being able to get anything done in Biden's first two years or Mitch McConnell just blocking absolutely everything. So it's it's really important. We want to encourage you to donate. Uh, but rather than us doing something ourselves to kind of try and encourage you, I'm going to point you towards a thing that I think you'll enjoy and a lot of you will, I'm sure, already know about or already be fans of. The guys from Cognitive Dissonance are doing a live stream on Black Friday, starting at 3pm Central Time, going at least three hours, probably much more, I expect. Uh, and they are having various podcasts kind of uh, other podcast guests on so the scathing atheist guys will be there the opening arguments guys george Trab, how to heretic knowledge fight and seth andrews uh, and obviously tom and cecil will be uh, talking about all kinds of stuff as well the entire time and having fun and all the whole thing is to raise money for uh the the georgia senate races go to twitch.tv slash dissonance pod from 3pm Central Time on Black Friday, that's uh, Friday the 27th, and watch the whole thing if you want to, watch a bit of it if you want to, donate while your favourite hosts are on, uh, because they're, I think, having a bit of a, uh, an internal competition to see who can be the people who are on screen when the most money is raised. So if you like opening arguments, donate when they're on. If you like Scathing Atheists, donate when they're on. Or, or donate all the time because it's a, an amazingly important and really good cause. So, I mean, we're not involved at all, but I'm just, I, I'm recommending it as a way to, to make a difference because also donations are being matched up to at least $6,000 at the moment. So if they raise 6000 then they have people who are ready to match that and make it $12,000. So it's a, it's a way that you can actually really make a difference um, if you donate to that cause and, and, more than if we just said you know make a donation and we'll send you a book or something so go along to that or if you don't go along to that if you don't like any of those podcasts then just uh find act blue and and donate to the races because it is really important and uh, and i hope you will uh be able to support them so we're gonna we're gonna play fake news folks i love the game it's a great game i understand the game as well as anybody as well as anybody Yes, it's time for Fake News, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up. And in this case, Matt has to figure out which one is fake news. Hello there. Hi. So, Matt, I've yes. got three quotes. And, and the thing, Trump hasn't been around much recently since the election. He's, He's kind been of stayed a fairly low profile. He's been playing he stayed a lot of largely golf. inside. And yeah. yeah, except for the golf. So, so there hasn't been a lot for me to kind of grab these from recently. So what I've done is I've gone back to pre-election and one of the rallies that he gave in November in Dubuque, Iowa, I believe. Uh, this was just, it, I mean, it was full of all his usual nonsense and some novel nonsense as well. So statement number one, 
We have the best planes, the best fighter jets, F-35 stealth. You can't see them. They're very, very tough to see. You're very tough to beat a plane in the air when you can't see it. But we have the best planes, the best ships, submarines. We're doing submarines like nobody's ever seen before. We have the best rockets and missiles. We have the best of everything. And our nuclear now is tippy-top. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, that's number one. Tippy-top, what a lovely word. Number two is uh, I had a group of people not so long ago at a place, nice place, and they said, President, President, could we say hello? They were wrapped in masks and it's terrible. And they say, could we say you couldn't hear them because of their masks? One person had the world's thickest mask I've never seen. I mean, then the scientists will say that one's no good, that one's no good. But they're saying, President, President, successful people, good people. And I'm saying, look at these people. I think that was about masks. but um, that's, that's what I'm writing down. Yeah, and then number three. If Joe gets in, you can kiss your Second Amendment goodbye. There'll be no ethanol. You probably don't even know what that means, but the ethanol people do. The oil industry will be gone. It'll be a socialist, really a socialist country. Biden and Harris will outlaw energy, and your children will be indoctrinated by the radical left to hate America. It'll be a prison state. You'll be locked in your homes, while leftist looters and thugs will be free to roam the streets and burn down our cities. Right. Leftist looters and thugs. Uh-huh. That sounds like my friends. Um... So you simply have to figure out which of those he did not say. <laughs> I'm... You see, now I'm stuck on the horns of a dilemma here because, uh-huh. of course, do I actually do I actually try and get it right, and therefore help Mark, or do I plunge him further into um, ignominy? And um, well, I can and, uh, I can save despair. you from from your concern there because because <laughs> I'm not adding any extra scores that other people come up with. Oh, so current real disappointment. <laughs> current Rachel is at a hundred percent. As our Kaplan and Messiah, who were a couple of guests we had on in the early days, kind of episode okay. 11, I think. Yep. Um, but everyone else is lower than that, and Mark is currently at around 40%. Right, okay. So the first one, rockets, submarines, the best planes, the best of everything. It's a, it, it's a nice, it does sound very Trumpy. <laughs> tippity, tippity top, though, doesn't sound very Trumpy. <laughs> tippity top sounds... Like something from the Beano. Um, <laughs> number two, um, I've got masks, people, thick masks. I can see him moaning about thick masks and, um, and being derogatory about them. Um, number three, ethanol. No, no, I'm not quite sure what ethanol is either. Um, oh, da, 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 da. I reckon that he did say two. Because of the mask thing, I reckon that he. I'd love to. I'd love to hear him say tippity top though. So I'm. Um, so I yeah. I'd like to. I I'd, I'd. I'd like to hear him say tippity top. Okay. So I'm saying that three is fake news. Okay. So of the <laughs> other two, which are you more confident about? I'm confident about two. Okay. The masks one. So number two hmm. is. Real. I had a group of people not so long ago at a place, nice place, and they said, uh, President, President, could we say hello? They're wrapped in masks and it's terrible. And they say, could we say you couldn't hear them because the mask, one person had the world's thickest mask. I've never seen it. I mean, and then the scientists would say, that one's no good. That one's no good. But they're saying, President, President, successful people, good people. And I'm saying, look at these people. So yeah, he did say that, and this is this was like the beginning of November. So this is weeks after he has had coronavirus, and he's still taking still the piss out of people for people wearing masks. masks. It's kind of insane. <sighs> yeah, uh, but there you go. So, and you also think that number one was real? Oh, I really want number one to be real. Number one is real. <laughs> we have the best planes, the best. Fighter jets, F-35, stealth, you can't see them. They're very, very tough to see. Very tough to beat a plane in the air when you can't see it. But we have the best planes, the best ships, submarines. We're doing submarines like nobody's ever seen before. We have the best rockets and missiles. We have the best of everything. And 
our nuclear now is uh, tippy top. <laughs> <laughs> it's a technical term that is for nuclear. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it's um, yes, it beats all the other tips. Yeah, he is. So, I mean, he doesn't understand stealth planes. Clearly, we've talked about this before on the show, but. I, it's amazing the number of times he has said you just can't see it you know you, you can't, can't fight it. a plane you can't see can you no. and Wait, and people have tried to say oh he he's just kind of he means that you can't see it on radar he but he's never given any indication that that's what he means every time he talks about it it seems very clear that he means other pilots can't see it yeah, can't see it. yeah. invisible planes yeah fucking almost black things almost impossible just, not to see anything yeah <laughs> God, <laughs> which means that mm. you have got that right. Oh, number three was indeed cake. fake news. Uh, yeah, I don't know why Mark's having such trouble. Uh, what all the fuss is about? I don't know. Yeah, so so you are now officially joint first on a hundred percent. Who rather uh, me? Yeah, and uh, that's. I mean, Mark's got a lot of work to do. In fact, he literally can't catch up with you ever. Um, <laughs> unless you come on again and, and get one wrong, so I completely ruin it. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mark, piece of cake, mate. I don't know what all the fuss is about. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for the part of the show that this week, at least, is called Trump's post-election lawsuits are not a logical fallacy, but do include a huge amount of making shit up. Because uh, we are now two weeks out from when all of the networks said that Biden was the winner of the election. And uh, Trump still hasn't accepted it because because uh, oh, he's Trump. An idiot. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and and he's contesting uh, various things in various states, none of which could make a difference because he's uh, Biden is at three hundred and six electoral college votes, yeah. um, so they would he would have to lose thirty seven for Trump to have a chance of winning. And the states that there's still any kind of contest at all in um, are worth 36. So even if Trump, ah. even if they just went, oh, just fuck it, you just, yes, yeah, win, on, then have the them. things, yeah. then then he still wouldn't win. So it, it, none of this matters, basically, at all. But, well, um, apart from the fact that it's, you know, that isn't he just trying to muddy the waters to make it sound as though there's something afoot that he doesn't quite know what, and then it can get, re- then it can get um, referred to the... Supreme Court. Even then, though, even if they take it up to the Supreme Court, because the, the, I mean, the I mean, they won't. But the worst they could do is overturn the states that these court cases yeah. are about. So even then, if the Supreme Court said yes, we'll okay. we'll just go against the law and vote for Trump on on in these states, um, it would still be two seventy to Biden. So it's 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 pointless anyway. But he's he's now. Uh, he's won two cases and lost 34 since the election. <laughs> I didn't know he'd won two, actually. Yeah, he's the two doing that better than he's I thought. won. I mean, they are, they're pretty small wins, to be fair. Technically, he won one previously in Philadelphia, or in Pennsylvania at least, uh, which was a lawsuit that allowed his kind of poll watchers, the Republican poll watchers, to, to stand closer, um, right. which was they were somewhere around 25 15 25 feet away and they got the right to stand within six feet of the the ballot processing but that what that actually was overturned on appeal right because there isn't a law that says how close they have to stand right. basically <laughs> um so so he he kind of won that one but then lost it again could they just have had sort of binoculars wouldn't it, wouldn't it yeah be? they have some of them have got binoculars which seems <laughs> largely to kind of take the piss out of how far away they are <laughs> yeah but, that's the reason yeah. i said it yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but no the two that they've won are uh one in um in fact they're both in pennsylvania uh one was that the uh secretary of state for pennsylvania kind of changed the rules on how long they can wait after the votes have been counted to get proof of id for mailing mail-in ballots because you have to mm-hmm. provide proof of id to to make your mail-in ballot valid and if one comes through that doesn't have proof of id they can contact those people and get them to provide it right. um, the law said that they had to wait until the 9th of november and the 
Secretary of State in Pennsylvania said, well, let's make it the 12th. And she wasn't actually allowed to do that. So, okay. so the Republicans won. The court said, no, you can't do that. It's the 9th. And that meant that like 10 ballots got thrown out or something like that. It was a really <laughs> but, small yeah. number. So it really had very, very little effect. And the other one uh, was actually kind of more... Uh, had more of an effect for a, a state Senate race, uh, which was also Pennsylvania, and it was in Allegheny County, which is where Pittsburgh is. Basically, when they do mail-in voting in Pennsylvania, you have to put your ballot in the secrecy envelope, which then goes inside another envelope, and the outer envelope you have to sign and date. And some people hadn't either dated or signed the outside of the envelope. And... Uh, what was generally being done was that those votes were still being counted. They were being segregated so they could be kind of checked if if they yep. weren't okay, but they were counted initially. And um, the, that was challenged by the Republicans and the court said, yeah, okay, you can reject those ballots. Uh, and that was that resulted in around 2,500 ballots getting rejected in Pennsylvania, where Trump is down by tens of thousands. So made no difference so, whatsoever. Yeah, so two and a half, two and a half thousand is going to make precious little difference. Absolutely. And um, there was a recent uh, description of one of their uh, cases, which was a, uh, was it a Frankenstein's monster, Frankenstein's monster of a case. Yeah, which was yeah, quoted recently. There was um, uh, this was um, this was one of the Pennsylvania cases <laughs> yeah. actually, because the relief that they were trying to get was that the uh, Pennsylvania votes would not be certified basically. Right. So kind of cut Pennsylvania out of the election. Um, and the judge said, one might expect that when seeking such a startling outcome, a plaintiff would come formidably armed with compelling legal arguments and factual proof of rampant corruption, such that this court would have no option but to regrettably grant the proposed injunctive relief, despite the impact it would have on such a large group of citizens. This has not happened. Instead, this court has been presented with strained legal arguments without merit and speculative accusations unpled in the operative complaint and unsupported by evidence. So... <laughs> I mean, that's Get fairly that. damning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yes, you described <laughs> it as a Frankenstein's monster of a of a case kind of stitched together to avoid um, controlling precedent. Beautifully put. Yeah. That was just one of, of many that have been um, a collection of just uh, kind of promises that there will be some evidence if you let us go to trial, but no actual evidence presented. Um, and affidavits, there was one in Arizona where um originally it was a it was kind of known as the Sharpie lawsuit because there was this rumor going around that if uh, if you used a Sharpie to fill out your ballot the machines couldn't read it properly right. and that poll workers were giving Sharpies to people i presume that they thought were going to vote for Trump because you don't go in and say a red cap i'd like to vote yeah. for Trump please <laughs> um so, yeah, they they alleged that they were giving Sharpies to people to make sure that their votes wouldn't count, which right. it wasn't true in either end of it because the Sharpies didn't stop the machines from working and poll workers weren't doing that. But one of the things that they did in that was in their kind of um, phone line that they had for people to call up if they thought that there had been any voter fraud, they got lots of people calling up and they had various people give them affidavits and they they submitted several of these affidavits to the court and the judge basically there's a great video which i will put in the show notes of of him talking to the to trump's lawyer and saying look you gave us you gave us some of these affidavits you you have proved in some cases that these were not true that they were lies and in your own words spam um, and what you've done is the the affidavits you've submitted are the ones you can't prove are lies. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, yeah, I remember. Yes, I've seen that online. Uh, and he said, "This this doesn't seem like a good way of getting evidence." <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's just. Oh well, no. Well, we can disregard those because I know those are lies. These ones could be yeah. lies. Who knows? But yeah. well, we'll use them as evidence then. Yeah, and the lawyer said, "Oh well, yeah, but they." they were submitted on you know penalty of perjury and the judge went yeah but so were the ones you've proved are lies <laughs> <laughs> so that was pretty amazing there was a, a case in georgia 
where there was, uh, and this was only about 53 ballots, this particular case. That was what they were trying to get thrown out. Mm. George has gone by much, much more than that. Um, a guy called Sean Pumphrey, who was a poll watcher, who basically his affidavit was that while he was out of the room, he reckoned something suspicious happened. Because <laughs> he was talking about how there were ballots brought in and put on tables and stuff and people were counting them. Then he left the room for a bit. And when he came back, the ballots weren't there. And he Shock. couldn't figure out where they'd gone. <laughs> Someone's moved them. And that was as, as much evidence as he had. Um, Damning evidence indeed. There was... <laughs> there was another Georgia case where they cited four calls to their voter fraud hotline from people just saying that they thought there had been lots of voter fraud, basically. Um, they cited glitches that happened in a different state in Michigan and claimed that that meant that the software that they were using in a couple of counties in Georgia wasn't trustworthy, so therefore fraud. And also they claimed that more people in various counties had voted than there were eligible voters in those counties based on population estimates from five years ago uh, in those counties. So they'd like, right. they'd not worked out how many people there actually are and then looked at how many people voted. They'd, they'd gone to a kind of a, a right wing organization called judicial watch, which had, which had kind of estimated based on a five year old census, how many <sighs> there probably are now. <laughs> This None of this is evidence. It's, it's bizarre. No, it's just I'm just grateful that I'm this side of the pond, really, and to <laughs> look on it and be and just be and just be entertained by it. I mean, if I lived as if I lived in it, it would just frustrate the backside of me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just, I mean, just I think boil my what, one of my favourites though is in Michigan, where initially they brought a lawsuit trying to stop the count of absentee ballots. And basically, they brought this lawsuit at the end of the day on the 4th of November, so day after the election. Right. And by the time it got heard, the ballots had pretty much already been counted, the absentee ballots. So it was dismissed on the grounds of it, the fact that it was moot, essentially. It didn't, they could, the, the relief they were seeking was to stop the count. Yeah. And the count had been done. So... There's nothing you can do about it. And yet the Trump administration has appealed this decision to the district court, which, again, I mean, they're not going to be able to get they can't go back in time and stop it. No. So it really I mean, the, the appeal will can possibly have no benefit at all to them. It doesn't make any sense at all. Um, but also in this. Uh, and, oh, and, and that one, part of the evidence that they gave was from a woman called Jessica Kernan, who was a poll watcher, who said that while working as a poll watcher, she was told by another poll worker that they had been told by other workers to change dates on ballots if they came in late, which is multiple <laughs> levels of hearsay. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> and the evidence she presented for this, the documentary evidence, was a post-it note with, like, change... 11 12 to 11 10 or something like that it's just yeah. It, yeah that's the level and finally again this is still in michigan the wayne county election this has been probably the one that has been most in the news because the wayne county board of canvassers which is made up of two democrats and two republicans uh, they're the people who decide to certify the vote so the the vote has been done it's been counted wayne county is the county in michigan where detroit is so heavily democrat area right and and most of the rest of michigan is is red the rural areas and basically because they're republicans the two republicans on the on the board of canvassers initially um, voted against certifying the vote so saying, yes, we agree that it's all fair. Right. Then there was a bit of a public outcry because it it's obviously fair, or it has been. Oh. And, and um, they basically had an argument with the Democrat ones and agreed in the end to certify. So they decided, yeah, OK, well, we will vote to certify the results and, and that's fine. Having done that, they then said, oh, actually... We, we've we changed our mind, which you can't really do. <laughs> um, and 
and they they claimed that they were kind of talked into it which again is that that's fine you can talk people into stuff it's not it's they they they're the ones who have to make the decision but the trump administration they had this lawsuit which was uh, claiming fraud in in the wayne, in wayne county and wanting to uh, not certify the results while all this was going on and after the board of canvassers had voted to certify it and then claimed that they wanted to change their mind but weren't legally allowed to, the Trump administration dropped the lawsuit based on the fact that the canvassing board had had declined to certify the vote, which they hadn't done. They'd voted to certify it. And having so having voluntarily dropped the lawsuit, all the court can really do is go, all right then, bye. Okay. Yeah, fine. <laughs> Close the door on the way out. Yeah. It's just... It's... I mean... Yeah. Well, I mean, he's got speechless. he's got Rudy Giuliani for a lawyer, so that's why all this stuff is going on. Because the law... The, I mean, they basically... The lawyers... His lawyers went to Harvard Total Landscaping instead of actual law school. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but Giuliani was... I mean, Giuliani had... I mean, historically had quite a decent decent reputation i mean well, you know i mean he sort of you know he had a reputation yeah, for standing up standing up against the mafia yeah yeah um, he, he, he kind of supposedly of, took down the mob in new york and, yeah he was and sort of then he and was after there 9/11 when 9/11. was very nearly you know was sort of very nearly a you know given a knighthood for god you know somehow yeah um, i think that was kind of more not, just right place right time stuff well, yeah, well, than that's, necessarily that's anything he did that's but yeah, you know, he's gone him, isn't it? off know. the rails um, in in over the last few years, definitely. But yeah, it's... but I mean, he hasn't been. I mean, he says he's a lawyer, but he hasn't been in court for thirty years. No, which you know shows you it, how, it's how his finger is on the pulse of um, yeah. litigation. It's outstanding the the <laughs> level of incompetence and and the I mean they I I mean I would like to think they must know that a lot of the stuff there trying to do is is pointless but i don't know if they do maybe they think it's going to work well, they, I, you just can't tell no i mean they're, they're intelligent people you would assume they've you would hope been in but business absent any been around <laughs> but they're doing a damn good job of proving to the contrary yeah no, so, um, I mean, new lawsuits are still coming out. There are, there are, uh, I believe, about um, twelve still to be decided, right. um, and and new ones are being filed still in Pennsylvania. And so, it's not over yet. And God knows if I mean our next episode is two weeks away. I don't. I doubt seriously that he'll have conceded by then. But maybe. Oh God, no. You never know. We'll, we'll see. It's... I'm kind of just I'm waiting for the pay per view of him being dragged out of the White House, kicking and screaming. Frankly, yeah, I'll enjoy that. Uh, yeah, I think I'd yeah I think I'd have it on loop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now some things we really don't have time to talk about. You know those how it started, how it ended memes. Well, it started with Trump's press secretary lying about the size of the crowd that came out to watch Trump get sworn in. And it ended with Trump's press secretary lying about the size of the crowd that came out to protest Trump getting fired. Nazi Barbie Kayleen McEnany claimed on Twitter that more than one million people descended on Washington, D.C. last weekend for the always ambitiously named Million MAGA March. Unfortunately for Kayleigh, there's still that same old problem that foiled Sean Spicer back in 2016, which is that some people own cameras. Images of the march show maybe a few thousand, and even Trump Phillip cable channel One American News Network claimed it was tens of thousands. If you'd like to do your own comparison, just look up a picture of the 2017 Women's March in DC, in which over half a million people made their feelings about Trump very clear. Channeling Dirk Bogart in Death of Venice, but without the acting chops. My Cousin Vinny, but without any sense of irony. And the Wicked Witch of the West, but without the integrity. Rudy Giuliani went full Tim Burton Oswald Copplepot when he broke into a sweat at a presser, telling us so many lies in defence of Trump's ongoing conspiracy theory junk pile that his actual head started actually melting. Apparently he can smell crimes. And yet he told us that you don't need to smell these. 
He's got the evidence to show us. He even looked under the podium at one point to find the FBI. We're still looking under ours for the evidence, not content with heating up the old conspiracies. Rudy, thankfully for a while, away from the mic, blew his nose into a handkerchief, folded it booger side out, and then wiped it all round his bullshit leaking face. In an echo of Pence's fly, Rudy's die is nature's way of telling us that everything about this is unreal. And oddly, since the election, we can see it for the idiocy that it is. There's a palpable sense of relief that we know that it's not as black as Rudy paints it. They say you learn something new every day. And aside from just how crazy Trump lawyer Sidney Powell is, recently we all learned that thanks to the Presidential Transition Act of 1963, the decision of whether the president-elect gets to officially start his transition process comes down to the whim of one person. In this case, Emily Murphy, the current administrator for the General Services Administration. It's her job to provide the appropriate resources and funds to the apparent successful candidates for the office of president and vice president so that they can start hiring staff and getting ready to govern. Unfortunately, when applying for the job, nobody asked Emily if she understood what the words apparent successful candidates actually meant. And now she seems confused about who won. It's almost as if she's a shameless Trump loyalist refusing to do her fucking job. The good news is that on the day this episode comes out, she will be appearing before Congress to answer some questions, and one of the people asking those questions is the always amazing Representative Katie Porter. Who's bringing the popcorn? In a similar show-us-the-evidence kind of way, well-known, no, me neither, Dutch cyber investigator Victor Givers says that he has the evidence he hacked into Trump's Twitter account. Twitter says there's no evidence of a hack, and from what we can see of Givers' activities, there wouldn't be, because he apparently just signed in using Trump's name and guessed his password. Yep, it was MAGA 2020. Don't bother trying, though, because apparently the White House have tightened up security and instigated the old send-a-confirmation-to-your-cell-phone thing after Victor himself contacted them for weeks and weeks, damn it. Whilst the Dutch police are seeing if any cybercrime has been committed on Victor's part, the real crime is A, no one had done it before, and B, when Victor logged in, he didn't delete the whole damned account. Would have saved us a whole lot of fucking trouble. Right, I'm off to hack Boris. What do you reckon his password is? Please love me, please? Maybe uh, I love peanut? Yeah, that should do it. With several tax fraud cases just waiting in the wings until Trump is officially an ex-president, some people on Twitter have naturally started comparing Trump to Al Capone. But really, that's just very unfair. First of all, Capone was only responsible for 33 deaths instead of a quarter of a fucking million. He opened a soup kitchen during the Depression and provided over 100,000 meals for the unemployed and the homeless. He was cheered when he went to ball games, and he was happily married to one woman from the age of 19. Also, we've actually seen Capone's taxes. We know that Trump supporters and reading beyond the initial slogan aren't two notions that go together all that well. Stop the steal, for instance, is one of the MAGA hat-wearing protesters' slogans to see electoral justice done for the hopelessly trailing ex-president. And yet the stealing goes on from those very down-home, grassroots, low-paid, highly motivated, poor loser Trump supporters themselves. The nickel and dime supporters donated to the official election defence fund need to read the fine print. Well, they need to read, period. Only if their single donation exceeds $8,000 will it go up to that fund otherwise 40% of it goes to the RNC and 60% of it will just go to the very newly set up Save America PAC i.e. a pseudo-political fund for Trump to do whatever he likes with claim travel expenses fight the next election buy his way into TV again pay off hookers bribe prison officers fund an assassin to shut Rudy up etc etc Draining the resources of we the ignorant people to fund nefarious activities for which he is never accountable is what propelled Trump to the highest office in the land in the first place God bless America One other difference between Trump and Al Capone is that Capone didn't have a daughter to carry on the family grift. The New York Times has been investigating the financial records they managed to get hold of and have reported that between 2010 and 2018, Trump wrote off about $26 million in consulting fees as a business expense. The consultants aren't named in the records, but that doesn't stop intrepid reporters from uncovering details like one payment for consulting fees claimed as expenses on hotel projects in Vancouver and Hawaii, which totaled $747,622. By pure coincidence, in her 2017 financial disclosure when starting her job at the White House, a certain Ivanka Trump reported receiving payments from a consulting company she co-owned in the value of $747,622. Following rumours that New York State's tax investigation into Trump was widening to include consulting fees, Ivanka decided it was time to speak out and offend her dear old dad, calling the investigation harassment, 100% motivated by politics, publicity and rage. 
Meanwhile, on this side of the pond, more business as usual, in one rule for them and another for us land. Dominic Cummings, self-obsessed blogging Machiavellian, unelected bureaucrat and architect of the Vote Leave and Vote Boris campaigns, very suspiciously, visibly, left Downing Street, clutching his personal advisor, I've just been fired, box like nobody outside Ali McBeal ever did. Uh, bang on, just before main evening news goes to air. For a week, we suspected that Boris had reset his government from autocratic malevolence to one-nation altruistic level-up Toryism. Nope. A week later... He says weirdly shrunken-headed Gorgon Pretty Patel isn't intentionally a bully, despite a report that says she definitely is, and doesn't sack her. I suspect she threatened to thump him in the playground. He then avoided answering whether foreign aid as a percentage of GDP will be cut despite being enshrined in law by his predecessor but one, in the same breath as announcing spending on lasers and Trump's old discarded space force to the tune of tens of billions of pounds for the armed forces. Don't feed Johnny Foreigner, blast him. Thankfully, the opposition, Keir Starmer, was absolutely outraged and protested in the strongest possible terms that, of course, the armed forces should get loads of money. His predecessor had stupidly believed in peace, dialogue, cooperation for far too long. Sorry, did I say opposition? I meant complete vacillation. Still, at least Starmer is showing some strength of character, being strongly on the side of law by refusing to allow Corbyn to continue as a Labour MP. <sighs> oh, no. No, he's not. No, he's not. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this episode, and I'd like to thank my guest presenter, Matt. You can find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com, and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used a fallacy ourselves, let us know, and if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show at patreon.com if Trump. Just like our straw man level patrons, Kaz Tui, Schmooz, Mark Reiki, and Amber R. Buchanan, and our true Scotsman level top patron, Lauren. Thanks ever so much, everybody. We really appreciate your support. You can connect with those awesome people as well as us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fallacious Trump. All music is by the Outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right. Go home to mommy. Bye. Bye. <laughs>